Hello. Good morning. How are you guys? Just actually, uh, uh, Sophia made you a father, honey, not me, right? I had a hand in it, right? But, okay. All right, just as long as we're all in this. So when a man loves a woman. Okay, all right. Good morning, and happy Father's Day to you fathers. Uh, you know, a couple weeks ago, uh, Pastor Josh talked about what makes, what is the essence of being a mom, right? And he drilled it down to, no pun intended, a mom is fierce. Remember the lady that drove a stake through the person's head? He was like, moms are fierce, and we can be fierce. And so as I was thinking about today, I thought, well, what, what makes a dad a dad? Like, anybody can be a, a, a father, right? But it takes someone special to be a dad. And so I was thinking, what makes a good dad a good dad? What are those qualities? And as I was thinking about this and, and praying about it and reading stuff, I thought, you know, I narrowed it down to three qualities. I thought these three qualities are qualities that we see in God the Father. And so we're going to go through those three qualities. And let me just say this, too. I think a lot of times dads get the, sh the shaft kind of, they get slighted, right? Moms are the ones that are like, oh, right? Because we get pregnant and we carry the babies for nine months, nine months of peeing every two seconds <laughs> and waddling around, right? And then, you, you know, that bond is continued through, uh, you know, breastfeeding and then, waking up every couple of hours, right? So moms get a lot of that like, oh, you're the mom. Oh, you're the dad. Okay. <laughs> but there is a ton of research that shows the importance of fathers. Um, there's a, uh, uh, this lady or guy, Dr. Kyle Pruitt of the Yale Medical School. So this guy's not from you know, focus on the family or anything or he doesn't have an agenda. He's from Yale Medical School. And he said that fathers do not mother. Father turns out to be a complex and unique phenomenon with huge consequences for the emotional and intellectual growth of children. A father as a male parent brings unique contributions to the parenting project. So I think a lot of times we look at moms and we go, oh, dads are just good for teaching the kids to, you know, toss the football outside or throw a ball, rough house, and then when they get older, how to drive. But as we get into this, we'll see that dads are... Um, there's a report that came out in 2006 um, from the U.S. Children's Bureau Office, um, which is part of uh, Health and Human Services, just for that clarification, in case you were going, what, what, part of the, what office are they part of? Okay, so they did this report, and they found that fathers who roughhouse with their kids, right? Because Josh and Sophia, like if you ask Sophia, my daughter, what's her favorite all-time thing to do with her dad, she'll hands down say, Wrestle fest. That's what they call wrestling. <laughs> so they, they get on our big king size bed and they just they she'll get dad in a chokehold and flip him over and and all this stuff. And th that's her favorite thing to do with her daddy. And that takes precedent over things that she wants to do with mommy. Like she doesn't. We can go shoe shopping and purse shopping. That doesn't hold a candle though to wrestle fest with daddy. With wrestle fest with daddy, the wor the world stops. And so a lot of times I get frustrated because I'm like, I got to put, we got to get dinner going. We got to feed the animals. Come on. We got to pack lunch for tomorrow, right? And they're, they're just in there just squealing with joy and just, you know, it's, it's just great. And so there's actually research that has shown that dads who wrestle with their kids in roughhouse and play with them, those kids grow up to be better integrated human beings because they have learned 
to manage emotions of aggression. And there, there's just, and then, that, then there's the whole educational aspect. Fathers who are involved with kids, um, when they're young even, like, you know, when they're first born all the way up, they become more literate, they have more drive, they have a better self-esteem, because the research has shown, I guess, moms, moms are more nurturing, right? We're more like, and I'm like this kind of with Sophie. I'm like, oh, come here, I'll make it all better. You scraped your knee, it's okay. And Josh will be just like, suck it up, wipe the blood off, get out back out there, right? I'm like, oh, but she's hurt. He's like, she's fine, she's fine. I'm like, oh, but she, she's fine. Kids with dads that do that tend to be, they have a healthier self-esteem, they have a better worldview because they see themselves as being a part of it instead of being pulled away, you know? And you need both. You need the moms that are gonna nurture and be like, let's take care of that bloody knee because it's not normal to be bleeding everywhere. It's not okay, right? But they also need the dad that's like, it's okay, get out there. You got this. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a flesh wound. You're good. Get back out there. So we have to have both. But dads are very important, and dads bring a lot to uh, the, the, the parenting project. Um, do we have the William Wordsworth quote? Crystal? Yes, okay. Williams Wordsworth says, he was an English romantic poet for you lit, lit people out there. Woo woo. They go, they go party one. Uh, <laughs> Uh, he said, Father, to God himself, we cannot give a holier name. And I just think it's interesting that we're supposed to, we refer to the first person of the Trinity as God the Father, right? So I just think that shows the importance of fatherhood. And, it, and it's worthy of us looking into and, and studying. And it's, it shows the high regard that fatherhood should be in. All right, so... When I was studying for this and looking at it, I, I kind of narrowed it down to three qualities, I think, that a dad should have. And if you're a single mom, these are three qualities, mom, that you can possess and develop. And if you're a grandparent raising your kids, these are, these are, these are qualities that apply across the board. Okay, so the first quality is, I called it the importance of playing ninja Barbies, and you'll see why. The fully engaged dad or the fully engaged parent. You, can we get that picture up with Sophia and Josh? Okay, so we were out at, on a Saturday morning, and uh, Sophia, of course, has to always bring a bag of toys wherever we go, right? And so she's, I'm like, no, let's just get in the car. She's like, but I have to bring all this. I'm like, you don't have to bring all this because we have a toy box in our car now. There's so many toys that she brings. Okay, so we're waiting to get seated at this restaurant, and there's a ton of people, it's packed, and um, Sophia breaks out her Barbie dolls, and she doesn't turn to me, she turns to her dad and she says, Daddy, will you play Barbies with me? Now Josh could have been like, uh, no thanks, I don't, I don't play Barbies, I'm a real guy. She didn't even, I, I said, I'll play Barbies with you. She goes, no, I don't want to play with you, I want to play with Daddy. Okay. So do you know what Josh did? He said, okay, let's play Barbies. What, do you, what kind of Barbies do you want to play? She goes, let's play Ninja Barbies. She's in Taekwondo, so she... So they played Ninja Barbies, and they got so into it, I thought the table, the table was going to flip, maybe. You know, and people were looking at them, and uh, that's right, my husband's playing Barbies. What are you going to do about it? But he just got so lost in this moment. They were just so into playing Ninja Barbies. And, and I just thought, man, this is a great snapshot of what God calls us as parents and and 
fathers, you as dads to, to do, to be fully engaged in the moment. Um, let's look at uh, Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9. Okay, and we all know that this is part of the Shema, right? Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord your God is one, right? When God's like, okay, Israel, these are the rules that you're going to live by as my people, right? So, in this section here, um, and it's only a couple of verses, but we're going to read it. So, this is Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9. These words which I, God, am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and daughters, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. Okay, maybe you're like, frontals, what? Those are the little boxes that the Orthodox Jews still wear today. <clears throat> and what they do is they, put a, they write notes of God's faithfulness and God's commandments, and they put them in the boxes. They literally wear, it's like a headband with a little box attached to it. And they put the, this little piece of paper in there, and they walk around all day, the Orthodox Jews, with this doofy box attached to their head. Sorry if you're Orthodox Jewish. But, but it's to remind them of God's faithfulness, okay? Now, maybe you're like, how do we get from Ninja Barbies to this? Let me explain. In order to teach your kid, dads, what it is, where is God in the small moments? You know, and this is what this is about. Teach your kids when you're getting up in the morning. Teach your kids when you're going for a walk. Teach your kids when you're picking them up from school. Teach your kids when they're brushing their teeth. Teach your kids when you're doing homework. Teach your kids when you're taking out the trash. Teach your kids when you're feeding the dog. It's calling us as parents and dads to be so present in the small moments. Because, you know what, it's easy, I think, to be present for the big moments, right? The recitals, the games, um, the performances, right? It's easy to be there and be present and be like, yeah, I'm here. It's the small, monotonous, mind-numbing <laughs> repetition of life that we're supposed to be present in for our kids. Because that's where life happens. Um, we were sitting at the dinner table, me, Josh, and Sophia, one night, and um, Sophia was putting forks on the table, and she goes, you know, I was thinking about something. And Josh and I looked at each other, because when she does that, we're just like, oh no, here it comes. And so she goes, I was thinking about something. So Josh goes, okay, what were you thinking about? And she said, you know, so Jesus has God the Father, but what happened to his mommy? Where's the mommy? I said, ask your father that. <laughs> and so we had this like intense theological discussion over dinner. But that was one of those mundane, boring moments. We're, putting, we're, set, we're getting ready for dinner. Nothing exciting, nothing sexy about that, right? It's not one of those big moments. It's just boring, right? And this has happened over and over and over. And parents, what it's saying is we have to be checked in enough, we have to be present enough, where when our kid or kids says, hey, what about this? That we're present enough to, to address the situation and to talk and to bring out 
where's God in this situation? There have been so many times where, we're, you know, I pick Sophia up from school, I'm like, how's school? And she's like, okay. She goes, you know, this happened at school today. Somebody called me this name. Or, she'll, or when Josh goes to pick her up, she'll be like, so-and-so said this or they did this to my homework. And we have to be present for the small moments, folks, because that's where life happens. In Deuteronomy, says it doesn't say just teach your kids about me in church, teach your kids, um, you know, when you do goodnight prayers, that's all well and good, but it's the whole package. We have to be present for the small stuff, and it takes discipline, I know, and as parents, there's a lot of times where I'm like, mommy needs a time out. <laughs> mommy needs a break. I know Josh gets like that, he comes home from work, and he's just like, he needs to decompress. But dads, I'd encourage you, jump in there, jump in the small moments. Be present for the small moments. There was a study that was done. It was a report on NPR, National Public Radio. And they interviewed this. It was a, actually it was a, a pediatric doctor who kept seeing these parents come in with their cell phones and their, their smartphones and their tablets, right? And they would have their kids with them, but they would be oblivious to the kids because they were so focused on their tablet, playing, you know, whatever, I don't know, like Words with Friends or Angry Birds or whatever, or Farmville, right, or whatever, checking out Facebook <coughs> or shopping online. <clears throat> and so she, <clears throat> she decided, I'm going to do a report on this. And so this report on NPR was about the effects of, there's a phenomenon between, for kids nowadays between 2 and 14 years old they are feeling more detached from their parents. And they are in, there's like, a, a, like a, a slight form of depression and neglect that this generation is experiencing because they have parents that are detached because they're there, but they're not really there. And these kids, there was a two-year-old kid that, they, that this pediatrician interviewed, and she threw her dad's iPhone, new iPhone, in the toilet, and she was delighted with it. She was happy. And the pediatrician, in the course of the study, said, why did you do that? She goes, I hate my daddy's phone. Because when my daddy has his phone and I'm there, it makes me feel like I'm a nobody. And I don't like that. It makes me sad inside. <clears throat> and I've seen that with, um, you know, Josh and I are both, you know, we're just kind of jacked in and obsessed with our electronics too, right? And Sophia knows, like, if Josh has his phone, right, and she's talking to him, <clears throat> he's like, yeah, uh-huh, yep, yep. She'll go, Daddy, please listen to me. Please listen to me. Please pay attention to me. She knows. Kids know. They know when we're not listening. They know when we, they don't have our full attention. And Deuteronomy is like, no, don't be like that. Be fully engaged. Be in the moment. So dads, I would encourage you, be in the moment. All right, let's move on. Excuse me, hairball. Um, let's get, can we get that quote from William Shakespeare? You guys all know William Shakespeare, right? If you don't, we should talk later. Um, he wrote a bunch of stuff, <laughs> plays. But he says, it is a wise father who knows his own child. I'd encourage you, be a wise father. Ask your kids the boring stuff. What did you have for lunch today? Who would you play with? What did you learn about in school? All right, so number two, number two quality I think dads absolutely have to have. 
They have to be able to walk the parental tightrope, and I'll explain that in a second. Um, we're going to look at Ephesians uh, 6, verse 4. You want to turn there while I'm talking still? Okay, so basically it's this parental tightrope that we have to rock, right? There's discipline on this side, and then there's a wire that connects it, and there's instruction on this side. And God calls us to walk that line. Sometimes it feels like we're walking on the razor's edge, but I'll get to that in a sec. Okay, so a couple months ago, um, I was sick and in bed, so Josh was on daddy duty. And um, Sophia was working in the back with Josh, and then I heard her pop in the house, and it was quiet. So Josh comes in, he's like, where's Sophia? And I said, I don't know, I thought she went back out with you. I, I don't know. Josh is like, no, she hasn't been in the back for a while. So we start moving around the house looking for her. And she, um, not so much now, but she still does it. But she likes to hide. She thinks it's fun to hide in a really good place and not pop out for like half an hour. <laughs> so we're like, we're starting to get a little worried. We're tearing closets apart. We're pulling the blankets off the bed. We're pulling out cushions from the couch. We're, we're emptying the closets out. We're going around. We're checking everything. We don't find her. And, we, and we're like, this is not a joke. You are really in trouble now. You need to come out immediately. This is not a joke. Nothing. So then Josh goes over to our next-door neighbors, pounds on the door, no answer, because he thought maybe she popped over because uh, our neighbors live next door. And so he, <laughs> I guess, I don't know, do you have neighbors that live next door to you? <laughs> so, but so they play together all the time, so we thought maybe Sophia popped next door. Nothing. So we come back to the house. We start running up and down the street yelling for Sophia because we, we can't find her. And at this point, we start getting that, uh, dang it. And so about 20 minutes later, we still haven't found her. Josh is like, call 911. She's not around. She's gone. And I'm like in denial. I'm like, what? No, no. He's like, call 911. She's not here. She is gone. So we go out, we're outside still, and he's like, I'm just going to run next door one more time. So as he's going to our next door neighbors just to check one more time, all of a sudden Sophia comes running out the front door, and she's like, were you calling for me? I just, I'm in I'm nasty hair, haven't washed my hair for four days because I've been sick. I'm in ratty pajamas. Josh doesn't look so hot. He's got grass stuck in his hair because he's been working in the back, and and we just both grab her, and on our front lawn, we just collapse together in a heap, and we just start sobbing. I can't communicate the terror that I felt, Josh and I felt. It was horrible. Horrible, horrible. And so, so Josh is like, let's go inside. Because at this point, like, I'm hysterical. I'm, like, sobbing hysterically. So we get inside, and um, I'm calmed down. We have our child back. And then I get mad. The Sicilian part comes out. I'm like, oh, she is grounded till she's 45. I'm taking away her pet fish, her guinea pig, her cats, all of her toys, no crayons. Mm -mm. So I'm getting fired up, and Josh just kind of quietly puts his arm, his hand on my arm, and he goes, honey, I got this. I'm like, okay. So I step back. And so he gets down on one knee, and he looks at Sophia in the eyes, and he's like, why, why do you think mommy and daddy are upset? I'm like, who cares? We're not. He's like, honey, just. So, so I sit back, 
on the bed. I'm quiet. And he just starts talking to her. He's like, why was this a bad thing that happened? How did this happen? Why do you think mommy and daddy are so upset? And he walks her through the steps. And she's like, I feel awful that I did this to you guys. She goes, I am so sorry. And so Josh just was like, you know, you can't do that ever again. <laughs> if mommy and daddy lost you, we, would, we don't know what we would do. You're our most precious gift, and you have to listen, and you have to pay attention. And he was able to take this horribly, you know, emotionally fraught situation and take it and turn it into a teachable moment with Sophia. Well, she's, she hasn't run off. <laughs> I hope we're done with running off, but she hasn't, you know, was a, she's, she thought daddy said it was okay to go next door and play. And so now she's like, she'll ask us five times, is it okay if I go next door and play? You're sure? Yes. Okay, I'm going next, I'm going out the door and I'm going next door to play. But um, Josh walked that tightrope between the discipline part and the instruction part. Right? Let's look at Ephesians 6.4 and see what Ephesians 6.4 says. Fathers, do not, and this can be mothers too, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So we've read this a bazillion times, right? We're kind of like, okay, we get it. Don't, don't tick your children off, right? We're going to unpack this verse because there's just so much. So I hope you guys have three more hours to stay here. You good, right? Nothing else to go to? It was a joke. I was joking. But. All right. So it says, do not provoke your children to anger. Now, obviously, part of our jobs and jobs as dad is to discipline our kid, right? And they're going to get upset. And they're going to say, I can't have 10 scoops of ice cream. What's up with that? I don't like that. I don't want to be part of this family anymore. Part of our job is to get our kids upset at us, right? Because we're, we're kind of laying down the law. This is not talking about that. The idea here in the Greek is this is a deep, abiding anger. This is a temperament thing. This is where you break the will of your child so many times, over and over and over. They become embittered. It's like an abiding anger and an abiding bitterness. And they become withdrawn. And they hate you, they hate the world, they hate themselves. That's what this verse is talking about, okay? Now, so what's the antidote to that? But bring them up in the discipline of the Lord. No, it's discipline and instruction. And that's the tightrope, okay? So there's the discipline part here, right? Which is you got to drop the boom, right? We said don't go outside. Like if we had said, Sophia, don't go outside, and she's like, hey, look it, I'm going outside. Then it's discipline time, right? But sometimes you also have to do the instruction part, like what Josh did, where you say, what went wrong here? What's broken? How can we fix it? I'm reading this book called The Whole Brain Child, which is great. It's a really good book. I encourage you guys to get it. Um, and it talks about how kids, um, up until they're in their mid-20s, the frontal lobe of their brain is not fully developed. <laughs> so that's why you can have 
uh, young people that are like, I, I'm going to do this. This makes perfect sense. And it's like, this is not logical at all. What are you talking about? It's because all the other lobes are developed in their brain except for the frontal lobe. That's not developed yet. So when you're trying to reason with a seven-year-old why they can't have 10 scoops of ice cream, that's not going to work. But what this book talks about, though, and this is the instruction part of this verse, you get, you get them to connect with the right side of their brain, which is the emotional part, and the autobiographical part with how does the world impact me? And you say, okay, Sophia, why did you think it was okay for you to to go out the front door and go next door without mommy and daddy saying it was okay. And you walk them through this. And what happens is you get them through that, and then they connect with the left side of the brain because they've dealt with the right side, the emotional part. And they are able to be logical at this point. And you can say, okay, this is the consequence. You do this again, you will be grounded until you're 45. <laughs> That's the discipline part. And so I think what happens is, as parents and, and dads too, like I think dads tend to be like this sometimes. Like we're they, very black and white. Like my dad was like that, very black and white. Right? And so just you broke the law, you, you, you blew it, I'm going to drop the boom on you, which is needed sometimes. But also, and this is why it's a tightrope, because it's a balancing act. Sometimes you have to be like, why did you do that? Why was that not really a good idea, right? And so you have to be able to, to kind of walk between the two as parents and especially as dads. And not provoke your kids to, to anger. I think a lot of times um, I've heard some parents, they're like, you know, we're just going to let Jimmy make his own choices. He needs to figure life out for himself. That's bogus to an extent. There's been tons of research. Okay, let me, how many of you guys have been on, um, you know, the Tower of Terror at Disneyland? Okay, I hate that ride. I hate it with a passion. <laughs> um, but you know what I hate about it is when you, you go down, up and down like this and you're hovering. Very unsettling feeling. Very uncomfortable. Well, guess what? That's what, how it feels to kids when there are no boundaries, there are no parameters given, when it's a free-for-all. You figure it out for yourself. Go for it. They don't have the capacity. Yes, you can encourage them, and, and you want them. Um, the part that says bring them up, that's idea of a release. Eventually, you're going to release your kids. But at this point, they need direction, and you cannot morally check out and say, not going to do it, sorry, this is too tricky, I'm not going to do this. You have to get your wading boots on and, and, and wade into the poopy water and muck around and be like, okay, how, we're going to navigate this together as a team. This is tricky stuff, but we're going to do it. Kids need boundaries. The do not provoke your children is not just talking about, you know, don't drop the boom on them too much, but it's also saying don't be morally ambivalent, parents, dads. Take a stand. Guide your kids. Show them how they should go. Don't do it in an authoritarian way. Partner with them. But then, don't become, you're not here to be their friend. You're here to be their, their parents, their stewards. So figure that out. So that's a, it's a balancing act. All right.
Now, number three. Dads, and I know this is, maybe some of you guys are going to be like, oh, you got to be your kid's personal cheerleader. And maybe it's, I don't know. I think if we look at the Bible, we see Jesus and how he interacts with Peter. Peter was always blowing it, right? He was always, he must have been Italian because he was always saying stuff before he was thinking and always doing stuff before he was thinking about what he was doing. And, uh, you know, remember Jesus was like, Peter, they go in the, the, uh, the garden and there's a guard that approaches Jesus and Peter, what do you do? he just cuts the guy's ear off, right? And he's like, Peter, chill out, just relax. And he picks the ear up and he puts it back on. And Peter's like, I'm going to defend you, Jesus. I'm going to defend you. Jesus is like, Peter, you will betray me not once, not twice, but three times in 24 hours. Peter's like, never, Jesus, never. And guess what? Peter does it not once, not twice, but three times. And he does it in front of an audience. He does it in front of a group of people. Does Jesus distance himself from Peter? Does he say, you blew it. You're off the team. See ya. No. He redeems Peter. He says, let's make this something worth redeeming. And he does. Do you remember? He asked Peter three times. He says, Peter, do you love my sheep? Peter, do you love my sheep? Peter, do you love my sheep? Peter's like, yes, I said yes three times. What's up? Yes. That's Jesus' reinstating Peter because he had Peter's back. He didn't say, you blew it. You're out. You're off the team. Sorry. We're going to look at a story here real quick, and it's the prodigal son. And can we get that painting up too? Um, So this picture here is by Rembrandt, a famous painter. It's kind of dark, but what I love about it is that the father, and there's a prodigal son who's stooping down, and the father embraces his son. Remember the story, right? This guy, this young kid is like, I want to go explore the world. I want to experience the world. I want to, I want to, I want to do things my way. I want to sow some wild oats. And so he's like, Dad, give me my portion of the inheritance. And in that culture, when you did that, there was no greater insult to your father. Because it was saying, you're worth more to me dead than you are alive. Dad, you are dead to me. Now give me my money. And so the father says, all right, here's your portion. So the son goes, and he does his thing, right? Hangs out with fast women, the Wild West and wherever, right? He loses all of his money, and he is spent all of his money, he has defiled himself. He is ritually unclean. And let's get verse, um, let's get verse 20, 15, 20. Luke 15, 20 up. So the, the son decides, you know what, I'm going to go back home. That's probably the safest bet at this point, right? So he got up and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him 
and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Now, what's interesting to note here in this passage is that the, so the son, you know, this, is, this dad has this huge estate, right? This huge dirt road, right, leading up to the property. What's interesting is that before the son gets up to the, the house proper, the dad has already jumped up and met him on the road. You know what that means? It means the father has been sitting probably on the front of veranda because they didn't have porches back then. He's sitting there watching day in, day out. He's watching the road to see, is my son going to come back home? I'm going I'm to sit here and wait. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. What a statement that makes about the kind of father this man was. Okay, and then what does he do? He ran. Now, in and of itself, that seems like insignificant. But in this culture, if you were an older man, you did not run. Running was undignified unless it was on the battlefield. You just didn't run. It was about being stately, having presence, acting kingly. And this guy doesn't care. He sees his kid on the road, and he tears out after him. He doesn't care what he looks like to his servants, to his household. He's lost in joy because his son has come back. So with abandon, he just tears down the road. And does he stop short and say, son, we need to talk in private. I need to have a word with you. You've done some very bad things. No, this kid is probably stinky. He probably smells nasty. Probably has some kind of diseases, right? He's stinky. He's messy. He is ritually unclean. But does his dad care? What does his dad do? He, he embraces him. He throws arms around him. It's reckless, sheer abandonment in joy because his son is back. All right, let's go on to 22. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Okay, so maybe we're like, okay, so he's giving the kids some clothes and shoes. That's awesome. But there's so much more going on. The best robe. This kid is filthy. He's dirty. He's disgusting. He's richly unclean. I don't know if you knew this, but in the Old Testament, Jews were very particular about clean, cleanliness. Right? This kid is unclean. He's not pure. His dad doesn't care. He says, get the robe of the house and put it on my son. And then let's give him sandals. Now, maybe you're like, well, sure, you got to wear sandals. But in that day, you only wore sandals if you were the man of the house, the person of the house, or somebody of quality, status. Slaves didn't wear shoes. So his dad, and then the signet ring. It's not just a ring. It's a signet ring. It's like the family crest. It's like the keys of the kingdom. He could go down to the local chariot store and be like, here's my ring. Give me, the, give me this brand new chariot, right? His dad has completely reinstated him. And he doesn't do it in private. He does it in front of everybody. It's the whole household. This was an estate with shepherds that were tending the flocks, servants, cooks, housemaids. This was in front of everybody. 
And I think what a beautiful picture this is of a father that is so glad his son is back. Talk about being a big cheerleader. He's not like, we need to talk. You blew it. You screwed up. You defiled the family name. You spent this inheritance in a, in a reckless way. We need to talk. He doesn't do that. And I'm not saying there's not time for discipline. Remember, because you have to have both the discipline and the instruction. His dad doesn't do that, though. He's like, I'm glad you're back. I missed you. And I think it's important that as parents and as dads, sometimes dads, you know, sometimes Josh will go hang out with his dad. I'll be like, you? they'll be together for like eight hours. I'm like, what'd you guys talk about? He's like, oh, nothing, really. Just like, wait, you guys were together for an entire day and you didn't talk about anything? He's like, well, we just maybe grunted here and there and just said, pass me the hammer or the saw. But I said, I don't understand that. How do you do that? He's like, honey, he's like, guys are just different. So dads, I, I would encourage you with your kids. You may know that you're your kid's greatest cheerleader. And maybe your spouse does. But do your kids know that? It's like when you have husbands that don't tell their wives that they love them because the husband's like, well, of course I loved you. I married you, right? 20 years ago, right? Hello. A ring on your finger. Hello. But we're verbal, we're auditory beings. We need to hear it. And so parents, I would encourage you, dads, tell your kids that you believe in them. Tell them that they're doing a great job. But on top of that, show them. Take them out for an ice cream or a frozen yogurt or I don't know. Whatever, whatever your thing is to show your kid that you believe them. There was, um, this is the opposite of being a good cheerleader. There's um, the Taekwondo studio There's some that Sophia goes to. There's some uh, dads there that are, have some sons in, there in, in the Taekwondo. And these dads are super intense like super intense. And so when their kids are um, sparring, it's called sparring, right? So these kids get decked out and like, they look like the Michelin man. They've got these like headgear, midsection body vest, like leg protectors, just the whole thing. So they come waddling out, right? And then they, they spar with each other and they, you know, they'll kick and they'll jab, okay? And th this is like, it gets kind of intense sometimes. It's not like, oh, okay, I got you, I got you. No, they didn't get into it. All right, so this one particular dad, his son was six, and his son lost his sparring match to a girl. Well, the dad gets his son after the sparring match is over, and his oldest son, and he loads him in the car. And the car is parked in front of the Taekwondo studio, and this dad let into his kid for 15 minutes was like, you're such a loser, you disgraced me, you disgraced our family, you disgraced your brother. What's the matter with you? You know how to fight better, and you lost to a girl. What's the matter with that? Blah, 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 right? Just the whole for God in the world to hear. And this poor kid was just sobbing. That's not the kind of cheerleading. <laughs> Kids need support. You need to say, okay, you came in dead last, you lost. Okay, this is the 12th time that you've lost. 
All right, there's still the 13th time. When your kid, let's say, is the last on the track, right, Every, all the other runners have come in, are you willing to be there and be like, come on, you could do it. You're the last one. Everybody's left. It's okay. I got your back. I'm going to be waiting right here when you finish. Sometimes it's awkward and it's weird as parents and as dad to be like, okay, my kid's coming in last, but I'm going to stay here. I'm going to be like, yep, that's my kid. I'm proud. Dead last. I think, and something I didn't cover in Ephesians, there's a, the part that talks about raising them up, right? Well, part of that idea of raising them up is that it's a gradual process. You raise them up to release them. And part of that releasing is where you say, okay, you know what? You're getting bigger and older. I'm going to allow you to start making some choices and decisions on your own, or we'll do this collaboratively, right? And you know that they're going to fail sometimes. But that's part of it. You allow them to fail. Sophia, um, you know, mommy's a fashion person. I like fashion a lot and shoes and purses, right? And so Sophia has a very strong fashion sense now. And so uh, a couple times she'd be like, I want to pick out my own outfit for school. I'm like, okay. Or for church, maybe you've seen one of her creations. And she'll be like, I'm going to put together my own outfit. I'm like, okay, but just know that you know, it's going to be hot tomorrow or it's going to be cold and raining, so just pick your outfit out accordingly. And so a couple times she's picked out, like, shorts when it's freezing out and sandals. I'm like, you're going to be very cold. She's like, it's okay. You said I could pick. I'm like, okay, here we go. <laughs> so Sophia was the only kid that went to school with shorts and sandals on to school, and it was, like, drizzly out. And I picked her up from school, and she's like, I'm so cold, Mom. I said, I know. That's why I suggested that you wear something, a little bit more coverage. But you know what? She started making better choices. And I think, especially as dads, it's hard to release our kids. My dad, I'm 42. My dad still is like, are you, you're not eating enough, are you? You're not sleeping enough. Are you taking your vitamins? I'm like, Dad. I'm a grown woman that's had a child. I have a mortgage payment and a husband. Come on. So I'm still your dad. I still care. I still care. It's like, as is, is dads, I think, there's just such a sense of protection that, that you guys have over your kids. But it's important to release them. It's hard, but it's necessary. All right. I want to read you guys. Well, actually, let's... Um, Let's watch this video real quick on dads. This is what dads can't do, but you'll see it's a good thing. There are lots of things that normal people can do, but dads can't, like win races. Every time my dad and I have a race on the dairy, dad loses. When dads play hide and seek, they're always really easy to find, but they're not very good at finding you. Don't tell them. Dads can't bowl cricket ball very hard or hit them very far. And they always lose at cards and board games and almost every kind of game. Dads really like things like fishing and going to sports games. Almost every kind of game. 
But they don't like to go alone. They like to read books, but not by themselves. Kids always need to wake up good night before bedtime. They can't sleep unless you do. There are lots of things that dads can't do. It's amazing they get through life at all. Yeah, but one thing dads really can't do is give up. Dads can't ever give up, no matter how hard it gets, no matter how hard they are. Dads can't ever quit because we need them. Thanks, Dad. Thanks, Dad. You're really awesome. I have the band and the ushers to come up, please. Let me read this quote to you. This is, um, I think, an apt quote and a good follow-up for the video. This is uh, from the Washington Post science and politics writer, Joel Ackenberg. And he was talking about parent fatherhood. So what is that job, fatherhood? I think it's more than being available or cheering at soccer games or taking a kid to visit colleges. A dad is supposed to be there for the heavy lift. He is the first to arrive and the last to go in crunch time. His support has no waiver in it. There is no ambiguity about his feelings. He believes in the child to the point that he will let go and trust the child to make a good decision. He is not overprotective or muddling. He's rational about likely risks and calms unnecessary fears. He somehow makes the world less scary. A good father is somehow just there, always a reassuring presence. Even when he's not there anymore because of the rules of morality, mortality, and all you can do is hear his voice in your head. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much that you gave us the ultimate role model in God the Father. Lord, I just I pray a blessing over the dads here, God. Thank you for them and for their faithfulness. And for the moms here that are serving, single moms are serving both roles, God. I pray that you'd bless them too, or even the grandparents that are raising their grandkids, God. Lord, these are our principles that we can apply across the board in our lives. I just pray a special blessing over the dads. God, thank you for their hearts. I pray that you would encourage them and... and um, let them know to not give up if they're feeling frustrated or exhausted, but to keep going on because their kids depend on them. Lord, we give you this offering and we say, um, here's a small showing of how much we love you because you first loved us. We love you, Jesus. In your name, amen.